When I was a kid, uh, my dad would always have us out on the boat, and so we, we had a, a blast growing up out on our boat and doing all kinds of skiing and tubing and all that kind of stuff. And I remember one day, I was out there with my dad and my uncle, and it was my turn to water ski next, and so I kind of just sat on the side of the boat, you know, you just kind of sitting there waiting, and my dad would always throw the skis out, and you kind of swim out to him. And so he threw the skis out, and he said, all right, Doug, go for it. And, and I just kind of pushed off the side of the boat, expecting to, you know, land in water. And so I kind of, you know, you close your eyes before you're about to hit the water. And so I kind of went off down the side of the boat, and then it just felt like time stood still. I didn't get wet, and I didn't know what was going on. It felt like I was hanging in the air, and it's because I was. I, my belt loop had caught a hook on the side of the boat, and I'm dangling off the side of the boat, nothing I can do, and my belt loop is up behind me, caught, and I cannot get myself unhooked. I am on the hook here. There is impossible, it is an impossibility that I'd be able to get myself up and off because all my weight was pulling me toward the water, and yet there I was dangling. So here I'm like a little 15-year-old kid screaming, like, help, you know. So my uncle and my dad finally came over and graciously chucked me in the water and got me off the hook. But you know those times in your life when it feels like you're on the hook, It feels like you're in some kind of an impossible situation, and there's no way you can get yourself out. I mean, I could have, like, God forbid I'd been out on the boat by myself. I'd still be there. There's no way I could have gotten myself off that hook. And sometimes that's us in life. There's all different types of impossible situations that we face, and we just feel like we're on the hook, and we could try anything in the world to get ourselves off, and it's not going to happen. I think one of the most stressful times this happens in our lives is when it comes to finances and resources. Isn't that just the worst? I mean, we live on Long Island. We can all agree, wow, it is tough to get by sometimes. And when we have resources and finances that are sort of in trouble, it just becomes so tough and so stressful, doesn't it? And this can happen in all different types of ways for us. Maybe you just graduated college or grad school, and you're like, all right, I need a job now. Okay, market's kind of dead. No one's hiring. I got bills to pay off. What am I going to do here? And you're just feeling yourself on the hook. You're thinking, it's impossible. How am I going to get myself out of all this debt? Uh, Another thing is maybe you had a great job, but you lost it, right? Feeling on the hook again, feeling like you're in this impossible situation. Or maybe they just made some pay cuts at work. Or maybe your pension isn't quite what you thought it was going to be. Or maybe, hey, like I said earlier, we just all live on Long Island, the most expensive place to live in the world. Yay us, right? And so you're just, oh, man, it's just no matter what we seem to do, it just feels like we're trying to squeak by. Maybe it's hospital bills, right? You just... One visit to the hospital, the insurance wasn't, as, you know, wasn't covered there or it wasn't as uh, much of a payment as you thought that the insurance would pay and suddenly you're going, I got like $6,000 of debt in a half hour. How did that happen, right? Anybody's car ever just said no to them? Yeah, <laughs> ever happened? It's happened to me, right? Just start it. No, no. <laughs> and then you're talking to your car like it's a person. You stupid. No, like, like that's going to help. The car's going like that's going to help. Yeah, yell at me again. Okay, then I'll turn on. Good, yeah. So, so that happens sometimes. Um, for some of us, single mom, single dad, man, tight, it's hard, right? Just feel like you're on the hook. High schooler, you're thinking about college, you're thinking about bills coming and books to buy and all that kind of stuff, and you're just going, I just feel like this is an impossible situation. And when that happens, it can become extremely stressful, can it? And it can affect our marriages, and it can affect our relationship with God, and it can affect our outlook on all of life, doesn't it? And so today I want to talk with you a little bit about what to do in that impossible situation. And I want to just say, if you're here today and you're going, I'm not really in an impossible financial situation, first I'd probably call you a liar because you live on Long Island. But secondly, I would say, you know what, what we're going to talk about today mainly deals with finances and resources. But I want you to know that what we're going to see God accomplish here today 
would apply to other areas of our lives as well. And so if you're in an impossible situation in your marriage or with your health or whatever it might be, just know today that you're going to find encouragement here this morning. And this message is important for us because I think it's going to remind us about a few things that God is up to in the middle of these stressful situations like this. And also, and this is really important, I think and hope the message today will protect us from making a mess of things. Isn't it true that when we get ourselves kind of on the hook and in impossible situations, be it finances or something else, when we try to take things into our own hands, we, we create a big mess. When we sort of say, you know what, forget you, God. I'm just going to figure this out myself. You don't seem to be doing much, so I'm going to just push you aside and do my own thing. Don't we get ourselves in even more of a mess when we sort of ignore what we know we should do in the moment? When Kelly and I were dating, I went over to her house, and we were going to make some brownies. We are going to make some brownies. And the only mix in the Pavone household was fat-free, which, what's the point? You're having brownies, right? And so we got the brownies, and Kelly and I came up with this plan. We said, we're going to fatten these brownies up, right? We're just going to do what we want to do here. And so it called for water, and we thought, I mean, little 22-year-olds, what do we know, right? Why not just change out what, what water is called for and, and put oil in instead, right? And so we went ahead and did that, and we put them in the oven, and it smelled amazing. It was wafting through the house. It was just amazing. And then we pulled them out, and Kelly went to cut them, and it was like, you know? And I literally got a hammer and a knife, and I'm banging the brownies to try to get them out of the pan. They would not come out. The good news is we were able to mass-produce them, and the, the, the military is using them in the war on terror now as weapons. It's great. And so, but, but you know what? In that situation, we just said, eh, forget it. We're just, we're just going to you know, ignore what we know to do here and just do it our way. And, and when we do that in life, be it finances or really anything else, we ignore what we know God is saying to do or we decide not to wait for him, then we just always make a huge mess, don't we? And so today we're going to look at a story that I think is going to give us some hope. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we love that you're here. Thank you for coming to our church. You're so welcome here. And we just, you know, one of the thoughts I had as I was kind of getting this message ready is that the story we're going to talk about today has a huge supernatural element to it. Okay, and so if you're looking at the story today and you're going, come on, Doug, this, this just doesn't happen. Okay, this is ridiculous. This, stuff like this doesn't happen. I mean, I, I guess what I have to say to you, and just to warn you up front, the only answer I have for you in any area of your life is supernatural. That's all I got. You know, that's why we're here today. That's why we're not just a club hanging out and talking about life. No, we're talking about God. Because we've all tried the natural, haven't we? And it's failed us over and over and over again. And we need the supernatural. We need a supernatural God. And don't get weirded out by that term supernatural. It just means not natural. It means more than natural. God is not like you and I, who's natural and limited in our ability. And so God is not limited. And so the story today, supernatural, a little bit different than what you would say would happen in a normal day in your life. But man, that's what we need. That's probably why you're here this morning. You need something more than what happens in your everyday life. And so as we look at this today, I hope you'll find encouragement. So here's what's been going on. Jesus has been healing people, and he's been preaching, and he's famous. There's crowds from all over the place following him. And him and his followers want to get away for a little bit of time. They're tired. They're worn out from ministry. And so they go to look for a spot. But look what happens here. In John chapter 6, verse 5, we see this. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat. Where are we going to buy bread? Okay, so these guys are on the hook. They suddenly find themselves in an impossible situation. They thought they were going to get away for some R&R, and they turned around, and there's probably, we'll talk about this a little later, somewhere between ten and 20,000 people following Jesus here. 
And so Jesus looks at Philip, and he says, where are we going to get some food for these people to eat? Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the same story John tells, okay? All four of the gospel writers tell this story. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us a little part of the story that John doesn't tell us. It doesn't mean that these books contradict each other, okay? It just means they highlighted different parts of the story. You do this all the time, right? You tell your story, and your spouse is like, oh, you forgot the best part, you know? And they, they throw their part in that you forgot to highlight, and they're like, oh, yeah, how could I forget that? And so, so John told us a part of the story from his perspective, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that when the crowds showed up, the disciples' response was, let's send these people away. There is no way we can provide for these people. We are in an impossible situation. We are on the hook here, Jesus. Let's send them all away. At which point Jesus said back to the followers of Jesus, no, don't send them away. They don't have to go anywhere. You give them something to eat. And then he probably added, if this is all one big story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John painting this one picture for us, he probably added then, hey, Philip, where are we going to buy enough bread to get for all these people? Now, the reason he probably asked Philip was because Philip probably grew up in that area and he knew where the nearest Panera was. You know, you just see Jesus saying, hey, get me a pick two and a chocolate chip muffy. Right? I could see that, definitely. And so... Um, he asked Philip, and, and Philip's response wasn't all that great, but that's okay because look at Jesus' heart in asking the question. Verse 6, he asked this only to test him. Philip couldn't feed 10,000 to 20,000 people. Jesus knew this. And so he asked Philip only to test him. Well, what's with the testing? Because if we're honest, probably 99.9% of us in the room right now feel like we are being financially tested. Like we're a little bit in trouble resource-wise. Why would God do that? Why does he allow it? If it affects my relationship with him in a, in a way that could be negative, if, if it has the ability to make stress in the family, if it has the ability to cloud all of life, then why does he test us like this? And he tests us like this because he knows something about testing. He knows it produces growth, Right? When you test a brain, it grows. When you test a muscle, it grows. When you test a person, they grow. And so God here, Jesus, in the flesh, is asking Philip this question to test him, to stretch his faith. It's for his good. Guys, it's for our good today. It doesn't feel like it in the middle of it, but the testing we're going through today, be it about finances or anything else in life, any other impossible situation, is for our good. But then I love the next part of this verse, and this has given me such peace. I wrote this message about six weeks ago, and, and it's funny. Like, throughout the six weeks, it feels like this area of my life has only become more tested, and yet this next part of the verse has given me such peace, and I hope it does too for you. Listen to what Jesus says. He asked us only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. <sighs> he already has in mind what he's going to do. You know how many times I've read this story and that part never really caught my attention? Jesus already knows, God already knows what he's going to do for you. He's already got the plan. You and I are freaking out, we're stressed, we're calculating, we're adding numbers, we're doing spreadsheets, we got the whole thing. And Jesus is saying, hey, I already know what I'm going to do. I got you in some troubled waters right now. I'm kind of testing you because I love you and I want you to grow, but I already know what I'm going to do. Jesus there that day was not going, there's 20,000 people here. What am I going to do? How am I going to feed all these people? Oh man, I wish I had thought of this. This is really bad. Guys, run. Right? 
That's not what he did. Because he already knew what he was going to do. And this one phrase has brought me such peace when I'm thinking about the church. Oh man, we're growing and, and that's a great thing. Thank God for that. But we're going to lose our parking out on the street next year. And, whew, okay. He already knows what he's going to do. And personal stuff and different friends that I know are going through hard stuff. All right. He already knows what he's going to do. Can we just take a deep breath this morning? Let me ask you a question. What problems in your life does that phrase need to be added to the end to? You know, lost my job, but God already has a mind what he's going to do. Car broke down. It said no, <laughs> but God already knows what he's going to do. The financial aid was denied, but God already knows what he's going to do. The Lamborghini cost 200000 but no, 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 no. Doesn't apply to that. The oil burner broke. But God already has in mind what he's going to do. God is testing some of us today because he loves us. I know it doesn't feel like it in the moment. But when we look back in a year or two years and we see how he came through and we see how he led us, then we'll be able to understand that it was good and he is good and he came through. And, and we'll be able to look back and say, man, I'm kind of actually glad I went through that because I got to see God provide and lead. But Philip failed the test here. In verse 7, Philip answered, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And so Philip's just a realist. He's just got this down. You know, he's, he's looking at a spreadsheet instead of at his Savior. And I think that the answer to the question Jesus is looking for here is Philip to say, Jesus, why would I need to go find bread? You're here. Why would I need to go hunt anything down? First of all, I couldn't even if I wanted to figure this one out, but, but you're here. You have this. That's, the, I think, the answer Philip was looking for, or Jesus was looking for in Philip, and I think it's the answer he's looking for in us too, which I don't always pass that test either, I have to be honest. But here is this question answered, and when you and I... Answer like Philip answers, we usually make a mess. I mean, can you just imagine if Jesus hadn't graciously kind of stepped in in a minute and taken care of the situation, the mess Philip may have gotten himself into, the ways he would have tried to solve the problem naturally. He already tried to send everybody away, and that made a mess. That would have made a mess had that been Jesus' response. Can you imagine how different the story would have been? Right? That would have been kind of a bummer Bible story. Right? All the crowds show up, and Jesus says, can't feed you, go home. <laughs> kind of changes, especially the morning here, right? But... But instead, Jesus has in mind what he's going to do. And, and so then Andrew answers with a little bit more of an optimistic answer, at least gave a suggestion. And another one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's this, a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? So Andrew's at least kind of given some hope, but he's going, hey, look, we got just this small little stuff. How's this going to work out? And what's interesting about this is, I don't know about you, but as I always pictured this story, I'm always picturing this boy and he's got this big basket. And there's these big loaves of bread. And there's like still steam coming off them from the oven or however they, they didn't have ovens. But however they made them back in the day. And the fish are big. I mean, in my mind, Jesus picks them up and he, he lifts them out in his hand. And then he does his thing. But no, this says that they only had a few small barley loaves and two small fish. In fact, if you start to look into this a little bit more, it turns out that barley bread was actually what poor people would eat. So this wasn't like a big, huge loaf of bread like you and I may have today if we went to Panera. This is a tiny little piece of bread for a boy's snack. And the fish were simply put on top of it 
to add some flavor. Basically, John Tenney says this, that, that what we have described here are mere hors d'oeuvres. That's what Jesus had to work with. That's how on the hook everybody was. That's how impossible this situation was. And so this wasn't even enough food for a boy to eat for a meal. And don't think about your, your boys here today. I guarantee that this boy didn't have the appetite your boys have if they have anything like the appetite my boys have. Like we had pizza for the family and I go back for a second slice and it's gone, the garlic knots are gone. They'd eat the box if I let them, you know. Landon's over in the corner shoving Parmesan cheese in his mouth by the handful, you know. And so, you know, that, that's not this boy. That's not your boy. This is a boy who just had a little snack prepared and this was not even a full meal for him. And then we see... This in verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and men sat down, about 5,000 of them. So we know there's 5,000 men. I'm sure you've heard this before if you've been around church for a while. The guess is um, that, well, not the guess, but actually Matthew tells us that there are women and children there as well. So the guess is that we could be talking 10, 15, 20,000 people if the dad's got the families with them, right? And so that's how on the hook we are here. That's how impossible the situation is. And then verse 11 says this, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Can you imagine the crowd's reaction? I mean, just put yourself there, right? Imagine the first guy taking the bread. And I can only imagine the second guy next to him saying, do you see how many people are here? Don't take so much bread. Don't take so much. And then the second guy gets as much as he wants. And then the second row gets as much as they want. And then it keeps going back. And somewhere up into the probably tens of thousands get fed this day. Verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So Jesus doesn't just provide just enough or a little bite for each, but he provides what's needed and then some extra. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I don't know why there were 12 baskets, maybe one for each disciple, so they'd like never forget this. And be like, remember we had not only enough for the thousands to eat, but we each got our own basket. Do you remember that? Maybe that's the possibility. Verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world. And so here Jesus provides unbelievable resources in a way no one saw coming. And he did it for a couple of reasons. Number one, he did it because he loves people. And there was a need. And you know what? The people there probably weren't going to die that day if they didn't have a meal. But he loves people. And so he provided for them. But there's a bigger reason. You see the last part of that verse, the people said, this is the prophet who's to come into the world. Basically, Jesus did this miracle to say, hey, I'm God. And I'm here. And you know what? I satisfied your stomachs today, but I want to satisfy your souls. I did something small for you today to see that I can do something really, really big for you on a much deeper level. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, be encouraged today by what our Savior can do for us. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, don't get lost in the fact that Jesus fed thousands of people some bread and some fish. Find the fact that he wants to satisfy your soul. He wants to give you rest and peace and fullness in that place in you that hungers for more, that all the natural options have failed. He wants to be that for you. That's why he got on the cross in your place. It wasn't just for some bread. It was so he could save you and I and rescue our soul. And so what do we do? 
when we find ourselves on the hook? What do we do when we find ourselves in this impossible situation? Well, I think what we have to keep in mind is this thought, and I hope you'll carry this with you, and then we'll get real practical in a minute, but I hope you'll carry this thought with you, that God is able to meet your every need, and he already knows how he's going to do it. God is able to meet every need you and I have. And I just love the fact he already knows how he's going to do it. He is not calculating. He's not freaking out. He's not trying to get a loan. He's not looking back to his debt to income ratio. He already knows how he's going to do it. And as you and I are tested in these areas, and as we're looking around, scratching our head going, this just doesn't seem possible. I don't know what I'm going to do here. I don't know how it's going to work. We have to continue to come back to the point that he is able to meet it all, and he's already got the plan in place. So here's what I want to ask you to do. How do we respond to that truth? I hope you keep this truth in mind, but how do you respond to that truth day to day? I mean, you're going to go home today, and it's going to be like, that was great, Doug, but it doesn't pay for lunch, right? So how do we respond to this? I think we got to watch and wait. We gotta watch and wait. What do I mean by that? We gotta watch Jesus. I have to believe that every eye was on Jesus in that moment. When the, when the disciples realized what, how on the hook they were, and Jesus said, No, we're not sending the people away, you feed them. I have to believe all their eyes were locked on Jesus to see what he was gonna do. How is he gonna provide here? How is he going to show up? I think these guys were staring at their Savior. And I think that's what we have to continue to do is keep our eyes on our Savior. Keep watching Him, looking to Him. God, what are you doing? How are you leading me? What are you going to do? How are you going to provide in this impossible situation? And I think we have to wait on Him. It doesn't mean wait, sit on the couch, don't do anything. It means wait on God. That's an active thing. See, to wait on God is an active thing. You know, if you and I wait in a waiting room, it's a non-active thing. You're just waiting. But when you and I wait on God, It's active in that you're looking to him, you're crying out to him, you're bringing your burdens to him, you're asking him to provide or do whatever needs to be done. And so you and I need to be actively waiting on God. I love that there are a few things, even though the disciples got a lot wrong here, I love that they didn't do a few things. First thing I love they didn't do is they didn't get up and leave. They didn't decide the plan wasn't going to work. They didn't decide Jesus was in over his head. And they took off. And I think that's what we're tempted to do sometimes. Remember, like I said earlier, we just end up making a mess, don't we? They didn't also take things into their own hands. They just continued to sort of watch the Savior. I mean, at first, they tried to send everybody home. But, but I, you know, in the moment, all right, what's Jesus going to do? What's going on here? And, and, and here's the thing we have to just come around and kind of celebrate for a second. I hope this encourages you. Can we all agree that the disciples in a hundred billion years of strategizing, never would have come up with the answer that Jesus came up with. When would they have ever said, you know what I think we should do, guys, is let's take this kid's lunch and let's feed these people and let's just trust God to miraculously make us all work. Never would have happened. And you know what? The same is true for you and I. As we try to figure things out, as we try to come up with our own way, we're never gonna come up with the way that God is gonna come up with and provide. My dad always teach me when I was younger and it stuck with me is when you're trying to make a huge decision, don't try to figure it out. Let God lead you. And that's so important. I don't always do a great job with that. But those are powerful words that 
whenever I have a big decision to make, and, oh, man, the finances, are the, what do I do here, God? And I can sit there, and I can figure, and there's nothing wrong with using your brain and being smart and using the gifts God's given you. That's great. But at the same time, God, what are you saying? Because I can figure it out really well on my own and make a terrible mistake if it's not your leading. And so in, in the struggles of our lives, and as we're kind of sitting on the hook here, maybe we need to be saying, all right, God, I need your leading on this job. I'm going to watch and wait. God, I need your, your finances for college. I got these debts hanging on here. Help, God. God, I, got these, I need provision for these emergencies, the hospital thing. The car said no. I need money for just the week-to-week stuff, God. Lead us, God. Show us what we need to do. I think we get ourselves in trouble when we don't wait on God. You guys know I love playing softball, and so I've, I've noticed this past season, as every year I'm trying to work on my swing and get better and better, I've noticed this past year that one of my biggest problems is lunging out ahead. I get over-anxious. The ball's coming. That's why I hit the ball, you know? And so it's coming in. It's just floating, you know? And so I get over-anxious, and I lunge out ahead. And when I lunge out ahead, all those hours I've spent working on my swing and the way it should be level and all that good stuff, it goes out the window. Because when I lunge ahead, what am I doing? I'm getting kind of all bent out of shape, and my, my form is all off. And you know what? When you and I swing out ahead of God, we get bent out of shape, and we make a mess. And, and the form of, of walking close with God and walking in his way and being led by him gets distorted and bent out of shape and we find ourselves in trouble. And so don't lunge out ahead of God. Wait and watch. See what he's up to. Let him lead you. This is what we're doing with the building situation right now. We're, we're saving. We're trying to be smart. We're trying to be wise with the resources we have. But we're not jumping ahead and yet we don't want to be behind God. We're just watching and waiting. And I talk a lot about that next week. And I think there's a couple things we have to realize here. Um, I think we have to realize sometimes, and I don't know if this is your story or not, but some of us, we are asking God to provide bread and fish when we already have it in our back pocket, okay? So this takes some wisdom. Let me explain what I mean by that. Just imagine at the scene that day, there's a guy there, and Jesus does this great miracle. Oh my gosh, Jesus did this incredible thing. And, and there's just one guy in the middle of the crowd and the baskets come around to him. And he's got a bunch of bread and fish in his back pocket. And he dips into what Jesus did instead of using what maybe he already had. And so this is just a little thought for some of us in the room. Maybe some of us are struggling today because we have some things that God's already given us that we're not handling well. Okay, so I don't want to shoot the whole message in the foot here, okay? But I also want to say we need to be wise with the resources God's given us. So maybe some of us have a bunch in our back pocket. And we're going, oh, God, God, give me more, give me more. And he, maybe he's saying, well, use the wisdom to take what you have in your back pocket and use it. And watch, I'll continue to provide, but be wise at the same time. So don't let me shoot the message in the foot, but maybe that's some of us here today. You can't get by week to week, but you got something in your back pocket in a different pocket that you can dip into and be wise and let let that be how God provides, then maybe that's an option for you. But hey, watch and wait. Let God lead you and I in all of this. Like I've been saying, this does not mean we don't work hard. The Bible shows us that working hard is good. The Bible shows us that you know, applying ourselves is good. I mean, we do our Dave Ramsey Financial Peace course here. That's good stuff. That's great knowledge to have, right? And so I'm not against that. But what I'm saying is, is that when at the end of the day, we find ourselves on the hook, we've worked hard, we've used the brains God's given us, we've been wise financially, and we're still on the hook, and we're in this impossible situation, 
then we look to our Savior because he's able to meet our every need and he already knows how he's going to do it. And so I want to really encourage you as we sort of wind down here, and and it's, it's with this thought. Some of you guys have seen God do amazing things in the past, right? Some of you have seen God come through. And maybe, again, today the issue for you is not money, it's something else. It's relationships, it's sickness, it's whatever. And we've seen God come through in the past. And I want to encourage us to remember what God's done in the past, but I want to encourage you that God is patient with you, even when you're struggling to remember those things. And the reason I know that is because in Matthew chapter, I want to find it here so I don't get it wrong. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's the same story we just read. In Matthew chapter 15, guess what Jesus does? He feeds the 4,000 plus women and children. And then in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus and the disciples get on a boat, okay? And they're out in the water. And Jesus was warning his followers because some people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, had said some things to, to Jesus and his followers were there. Okay, now stick with me, all right? Jesus, they're out on the boat and the guys are out on the boat. And Jesus says to his friends, he says, hey, don't be poisoned by the yeast of the Pharisees. Okay, what he was trying to say is just like yeast grows through bread, don't let what the Pharisees just said get in you and spread throughout you and poison you, okay? And so they're there on the boat, and, they, and Jesus says that. And you know what the disciples do? They look at each other, and they ask the craziest question of all time. They say, is he saying this because we forgot to bring bread? Didn't they just see 5,000 plus women and children and then 4,000 plus women and children fed miraculously by Jesus doing something ridiculous with bread? And Jesus says that to him, to them. He says, didn't you see the 5,000? Didn't you see the 4,000? Are you seriously asking this question right now? But you know what? Jesus then didn't take Peter and Matthew and throw them over the boat and go find some new disciples, right? He continued to be faithful to them. And so you know what? As you and I struggle, and as we struggle sometimes to remember the ways he's come through in our past, know that you have a patient Savior who's wanting to continue to walk through these impossible situations and do what only he can. So be smart, and be wise, and be a good steward, and work hard. But when you find yourself on the hook, and you've done all that, and now you're in an impossible situation, it's time to watch and wait, because God knows everything you and I need. He's able to provide for every ounce of it, and he already knows what he's going to do. There's this guy, George Mueller, and uh, he's a, a famous Christian, and and uh, we have a picture of him right here. You guys should check out this picture because I just think it's great. I mean, even by today's beard standards, come on. That's a, you have to listen to this guy just because of his beard, don't you? But George Mueller would be walking through the streets, and he, his heart broke for kids that were orphaned, that had nowhere to live. And he felt God whispered to his heart, I want you to make a place for them to, to live. I want you to make a place for them to stay. And he's like, I have no money and no resources. This is impossible. How am I going to do this? And he began to just cry out to God. And George Mueller, and I'm not necessarily saying that we should all do this, but George Mueller refused to ask a person for help. He would only pray about it. He would only bring his needs to God. And so he went to God over and over to provide finances, provide staffing, provide food. I don't know anything about this, but my heart breaks for these children, and I felt you asked me to cry out to you for this. And God, over, over time, a wealthy person would give George Mueller a check, and then someone else would provide this, and then someone else would provide that. And before he knew it, George Mueller would have up to 300 kids that he was feeding. And the most famous story, maybe some of you have heard it about George Mueller, is one day his staff came to him and said, we have 300 kids ready to eat and we have no food. We have run out. 
And so George Mueller said, all right. And it kind of reminds me of what Jesus did. Jesus says, hey, have everybody go sit down, and I'm going to pray for the food. And George Mueller did the same thing. He sat down, everyone in that hall, and he prayed and he thanked God for the food, knowing full well there was no food. About a minute or two later, there was a knock at the front door, and he goes running out to the front door, and there was the local baker. And the baker said, George, God put on my heart last night. I just could not sleep. I had to bake all of this for you in the orphanage. And he brought in all this bread, perfect amount for the, for the kids that were there that day. Now, that's pretty cool. That's great. And that could have, you could say coincidence on that, you know, I guess if you really had to. But about another uh, few minutes goes by, and there's another knock at the door, and a, a milk cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. And the guy who owned the milk cart knew that by the time the wheel was fixed, all the milk would be bad. And so he said, sir, is there any way you can use this milk here today? And George Mueller smiled and brought it inside, and the kids had a meal. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that we pray that armored cars start breaking down in front of our house. (laughs) But what I do know is this. I do know that God is able to meet your every need, and he already knows how he's going to do it. If you're not a follower of Jesus, God wants to satisfy your stomach, but he wants to satisfy way more your soul. And so I'd encourage you today, if you would like to put your trust in Jesus, to do that in just a minute as we pray. And you'll begin to see God work in your life and change some things in your heart and give you that satisfaction and that joy and that peace that you long for. If you're a follower of Jesus, let's watch and wait. Let's see what Jesus is up to. Let's not get out ahead of him. Let's not lunge out ahead. Let's stay in step with him and ask him to lead us and ask him to provide. Let's be smart. Let's work hard. But when we've done all we know to do and we're on the hook, we've got to watch our God and wait for him because he's able to meet our every need and he already knows what he's going to do. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that this is something you love to do for us, God, is to come through is to do the impossible. And so we can't thank you enough today, God, for the ways you want to work in our lives. And I thank you for everybody that's in this room today, God. And we're in different places, and I would guess many of us are feeling financially strained. I ask you for wisdom. If there are different pockets we need to reach into right now, and that's how you're going to provide, then give us wisdom. But God, if we're on the hook, and this is a 100% impossible situation that you have to come through on, then, Lord, we look to you and we ask you to do the impossible. And I pray that as a result of our time this morning and us believing the truth about what you said, that, God, we'll have stories in the near future about how you've come through. I pray that I'll be able to even share from the stage in the next few months ways that you provided for us individually and together as a church. I pray, God, for anyone else that needs your hand in working in an impossible situation, somebody that's sick, a relationship that's in trouble, um, just needing your hand of leading and guiding someone that needs you to speak so badly, would you do those things today too as well, God? So if you're a Christian, I want you to bring those current stresses to God. Peter tells us we can cast our anxiety on the Lord because he cares for us. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, you want a satisfying, not just in your stomach, but in your soul. And I would encourage you to pray something like this silently between you and God. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for your desire to satisfy my soul with peace and joy and love 
and forgiveness. I just put my trust in you today and ask you to be my Savior. And thank you for this gift of salvation you've given me. Would you just continue to be at work in my life and would you show me the amazing things you want to do?